0: One of the best uh, examples of uncertainty I can give you is an I, I rode it on an Uber taxi some time ago, a couple of years ago, and the guy really taught me how to enjoy uncertainty. Uh, those guys really know how to to enjoy life, you know, uh, and not to care too much about the next next ride. That's interesting. That's a really good lesson, actually. That's really valuable.
1: Yeah.
0: I think. And so there was a very, very powerful thing. He appeared so happy not knowing what's going to happen next. Um, And I can't think of a better example of uncertainty and how you cope with uncertainty.
1: Hey, everybody. Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. How are you? I hope you're good. I mean, that's the least I can ask for, but it's uh it's a hope I have for all human beings. Welcome back to the pod. 2021 is screaming in. I don't know if it's good, bad or indifferent. I just I don't know. I mean, it's I I don't know. We're we are I am now at my 1 year uh without travel anniversary. I can't even believe this. I've not been on a plane in a year as of this podcast which I didn't think was possible. I'm not uh, totally upset by it. I think it's probably lengthened my life, and I'm pretty sure I'd be arrested (coughs) by the TSA because everything's kind of notched up a bunch of levels in importance. But maybe not. I mean, maybe I don't know. You never know how you'd respond. I love that comment. So so the podcast today features Nippon on it, and Nippon's going to talk about, um, a, a new idea he has out there that he's really psyched about, uh, using kind of a narrative analysis approach to understanding near reporting, which is brilliant because it sort of builds on this idea of learning teams and stories and how people talk informally. But the reason I think it's more brilliant is because it really directly confronts straight up the fact that we've built these knowledge management systems. That are optimized towards sorting information, not optimized towards gathering information. That makes sense. We we make it easy to to file the information away, and in doing so, we actually lose all the context. And the entire story is the damn context. Context is everything. It's everything. Dang it, everything. So he's he's been working diligently. Diligent, God, I cannot talk today. Diligently on this. And he was really excited to talk about it. And I was like, well, it's, uh, it's a good time. It's February. It's a good time to do that. Let's do it. Because that that's always interesting. And it's, it's, it's a great podcast. So I think you're going to enjoy it immensely. Life here is uh, grand. Uh, busy in an interesting way. I uh, am completely enamored by the number of questions you guys have sent in. So that was kind of an interesting experiment. And that's coming up. I think that'll be soon, actually very soon i have it all done well not yeah kind of done i sort of done the questions were hard so they weren't easy so it maybe it'll be an, a, a, an illuminating uh podcast at least hopefully it will be that's that's kind of the goal is to create a sense of light in an otherwise dark world nah, it's not that dark it's i mean no i don't know it's it's nippin's theory on uncertainty I, I love the fact that he sort of accidentally went into mindfulness there, and he got it from an Uber driver, which tells you there's much to learn and that expertise lives at every level of our organization. Every single level has experts, and Nippon just proved that to us. So let's listen to the pod. It's it's a good one. I think you're going to enjoy it immensely. Thank you for being a part of it and hanging out with me. I'll have lots of details for you to talk about when we do the question episode, which is upcoming. I think it's on my mind because I've been working on it. And until then, sit back and relax and listen to Dippin and Todd have a discussion around this idea of reporting and conversation and context and fidelity and how we oversimplify in order to sort. I just kind of went through the entire conversation. So now you have a heads up. Now you know it's coming. So here it is. Here's Dippin. Let's take a look at this safety observation.
0: When alongside the oil platform, We received and connected what was said to be a freshwater hose and started to pump water from tank. Our pump quickly tripped and stopped due to high back pressure. We then drained back to freshwater tank. It was found that the hose sent to us had been last used to load chemicals. Our water lines got contaminated by the chemical. It needs to be cleaned upon arrival ports, so that we can be confident that it is safe for use. Two crew, crew members also got some chemical spray in their face and eyes when they disconnected the hose. They flushed their face with plenty of water and later took a shower. Their condition seems to be okay and no medical treatment is needed so far. They were both wearing safety glasses. Now, I'm not sure what you make of this, Todd. But to me, this very short snippet of information coming from a frontline worker on a drilling rig is, in fact, very messy. It's messy because in this very short message, you see technical success of a pump that worked and therefore minimized the the consequences of the, the damage or the injury. It shows... Coordination between a contractor and supplier gone really bad when you have the interface between a supply vessel and a drilling rig. You see an operational problem which is using the wrong hoses for loading chemicals. You can call this as an incident. You could call it at a near miss. But this was actually reported as a safety observation or hazard observation as we see it in many organizations, particularly in the safety critical industry. And I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that channeling communication from below is, and in any one direction, whether it's technical, to the technical department, to the safety department, operations department, uh, is absolutely difficult and misleading both. And I will talk about it more as we go. But this and many such reports float around in many companies. In the last 14 to 15 years and in different capacities, I've been trying to make sense of these reports. And the question I would like to address today is, how well do we capture these reports, understand them in a sense how well we process this information, analyze it to the benefit of the organization and the people? I call it upward reporting, reports that come from workers directed at managers, and they're not limited to just safety. It includes everything from product failures, technical reporting systems, operational reports, hazard observations, near misses, and so on. Now, I must say that I've categorically kept away from incident reporting, an area that is heavily regulated And I've focused more on informal and more frequently used channels of reporting. Towards the end, I will also offer some thoughts about how we are going about addressing these issues through an initiative that is thankfully funded by the UK government. I would like you to now take a look at another one. It says, during alongside in port, the gangway got damaged when the ship was moving along the jetty. Later, it was found that the duty crew member had left the gangway unattended. Root cause lack of supervision. Corrective action follow procedures for gangway watch. Very familiar.
1: Yes, and very bad.
0: Yes, and now I'd like you to look at the other side of the story.
1: It is not unusual to move the ship
0: alongside the jetty with one crew member forward and one aft, especially during nighttime, because you don't want to wake up everyone. What happened, sir, on that night? We have a crane swinging out and it obstructed the view of the captain from the bridge. So he couldn't see the gangway was out when the ship was moving along the jetty. When the gangway got damaged, the captain blamed me. Why you don't tell me that the gangway is hanging out? But actually, sir,
1: I thought he was monitoring the situation from the bridge.
0: Do you see the difference, Tom? Yes. Let me show you something else now. During passage from Singapore to Japan, we encountered heavy traffic near the coast of Shanghai and came very close to a fishing boat. Root cause, lack of situation awareness, corrective action, follow the procedures. Look at this.
1: I reported this near miss and they immediately came back to me saying, Captain, please remind your officers to keep a good lookout. They are telling me they shouldn't be on their computers during watches. Now look at this corrective action they are proposing. Follow bridge procedure guidelines for watchkeeping. For God's sake. You know, as far as I can see, it is them
0: who should get better at planning. So many times, I've told them not to load six high containers on forward hatches, especially on the sides because it obstructs visibility from the bridge. But they simply don't care. And when I reported this, they're telling me my officers were not careful on their watch. Really? I mean, come on. You see that, Todd? Yeah.
1: These are great. I love the voices.
0: See how far apart we are from reality. And how dangerous our models are when they strip things into these kind of reductionist reports. We took some time, Todd, in the last year and a half, we have been looking into quality reports, safety reports, literally read through 31,000 reports, operational failures, product failures, hazard observation systems, near misses, and looked at it from different lenses, from technical lenses, from operational lenses, but also from ethnographic lenses to make sense of what are these reports trying to communicate? We interviewed some four people up to date, and it's also been my own experience for the last 14 years or so, my own curiosity, just trying to understand what are these reports Trying to tell us? What is it trying to communicate to us? And what is it that we are missing here? There are three things that I would like to point out here. In my view, at least, there are problems at the level of reporting, how reporting is done, uh, at the level of analysis, and at the level of learning. So I'll start with the first one, which is reporting. As you can see from, from the three examples that I gave you in the beginning, the starting point is the term reporting itself. So if you create a system that is one way communication, then don't be surprised that it does it so well. It does not really encourage conversations. It does not encourage engagement. It's a report sent out and that's it. It goes into what many workers would call a dark hole. So it's a dark hole of data repository and you don't really get anything much out of it, at least to the workers. The second thing we see is what we often call three dots in a message that we send to people. It's what we call ellipses. So a report by its very nature will say some things, but also hide certain things. And not hide because people want to hide something, because the, the, the very act of putting something on the paper is going to contextualize it. And by contextualizing things, you are actually reducing them down to something that can easily be understood. A bit like a Google map or a map, it tells you as much as it hides from you to make sense of it. This shouldn't surprise you, the numbers game that you see, that you have to report so many near misses or hazard observations on a weekly, monthly basis that goes on and it kills the soul of reporting. We also saw an element of accountability diffusion. So what does that mean? It basically means the kind of reports that I showed to you, people will report something, they will hand it it to the safety department. And safety department probably has very little to do with it. They don't even have the competence uh, to deal with it. In a way, a lot of data is being collected, is being presented through beautiful pie charts and statistics, but nothing is actually done. So accountability is kind of diffused. From the one hand, you have reported it. From the other hand, and you have presented it. But there is no meaningful action as a result of that. And then we saw malicious reporting. In a sense... You have people in lower ranks who are being pinned down because somebody in the higher rank doesn't like them. Often things like this person was observed not following the procedure. This person was observed not wearing the right protective equipment. And so it becomes a very toxic culture in some organizations. Mind you, there are some really good examples also, but I'm just highlighting the, the problems that I saw. At the reporting level, we saw some really good examples where people are actually helping each other also and trying to get things done through these informal channels. We then saw a problem with analysis. An analysis, in the sense that really stripping down these very, very complicated stories into simplified labels, simplified categories. So you have a very complicated story and it's stripped down into something like lack of procedures, lack of equipment, procedures not followed, inadequate risk assessment. And so on. And what's interesting in this, uh, what Holagal would call monolithic explanations is that that lack of training is replaced with more training. That lack of procedures is replaced with more procedures. And that's kind of interesting because, you know, the example that I showed you in the beginning, that if somebody's view is obstructed because they can't see the containers, better lookout is not going to solve the problem. You need to do something about the design of the system. So the problem is lateral rather than vertical. So you don't need to go deep down. You need to look at the interdependencies in the system. And then the problem with artificial intelligence, I wrote a paper some time ago, it's called turning apples into bananas. So you say something and you say it 1000 times, you scale it, you generalize it to the, to, the, to the extent that the organization starts to believe that it's no longer an apple, it's a banana, because that's the problem. It's, it's scaled to that level now. When you get up in the morning and you get 1,000 reports as a senior manager and every report says, procedure not follows, lack of training, lack of awareness, you start to believe that there's a problem with the people. This is the problem with artificial intelligence I saw. And then we saw something also which struck me, Todd, was that I saw an outcry for attention in these reports. I saw a plea that I need some help. And it could be something as menial as uh, we need better provisions, we need better food, but it could also mean a safety critical equipment not working. But what the deeper message here was that all the formal channels that we have are not helping us. You have a plan maintenance system, you have a procurement system, but all those formal channels, when I push something down that channel, it is rejected because somebody's KPIs are being affected. So people use these informal channels to kind of escalate their issues, their concerns. Very fascinating because that was never the purpose of this system. How could you use a hazard observation system to complain about milk or to complain about a safety-critical equipment not functioning? Another remarkable thing we saw was how much we are missing on the problem-solving capabilities of people by not looking into, reading into these reports. I'll show you an example here. While picking up the extension rope, the ship was pushed onto the rope by the tide. Engine stopped immediately, discovered that the rope had snagged on the rudder. I asked the platform to reduce the tension on the rope. No damage was caused to the rope or the vessel. What's the answer? Maintain vigilance all the time. Isn't that interesting? You have missed the meshing of the problem and the solution, and you have straight gone into what you have been looking for, which is a silly human. You have missed the point what, How much has been done to mitigate the harm, mitigate the damage? And you have straight gone into what you were looking for in the first instance. I find it fascinating in these reports how we are missing out on the problem-solving capacity of people all the time. Some really good information there. So that was analysis done. We then looked at learning, and learning in the sense, very centralized learning. People being pushed information that they never want to engage with that has very little validation from from the shop floor, from people actually working. You call it centralized learning. So a small department which is detached in time and space telling people what they should be doing rather than listening to them, learning from them. Time and again, we saw people saying, we have a problem and this is what we did. Uh, And the answer is, uh, did you follow this procedure? Yes, but that procedure has a problem. I don't care. Did you follow that procedure? So we're constantly reinforcing procedures and rules, rather than listening to what is it that makes so difficult to follow that procedure. So a lot of those things. And and one keyword, or or I would encourage people to think about is that if you go into your safety reporting system and just type ensure, comply, remind, those kind of keywords, how many words you will see in your system as a proxy of root cause or corrective actions. That people are saying something and the response that we are providing is ensure comply, remind. Those are the kind of words that keep coming in these databases. And then we saw the classic tension between fixing and learning. So you have a problem and there's a learning opportunity here, but you realize that in two days time, you have to close this report and move on. So you're missing big time by not opening up those conversations. You just want to fix a problem and move on very quickly. So we saw a lot of that thought. The tension between learning And meeting KPIs. So, in very few words, this is what I wanted to present to you, and then say that what is it that we've done differently about it? Before I do that, I would like to hear your thoughts, Todd. What do you think so far?
1: So, it's interesting to me at a bunch of levels. One is any of this work we do to understand historically how we've gathered this information is really valuable because it allows us to build a position where we can move forward better. And that's the goal. To me, the question is, what have we done to create the belief that this information was good enough? And how have we reinforced these actions so that organizations globally in all types of industries have been satisfied with this data so far? And I think that's a really important question. It's one we have to answer because to me... Before we can move on and gather better information, I think we have to shift the leadership into knowing that they don't know enough. You're exactly right. The crazy thing about anytime you track, trend, and try to sort or account information in a manageable way, you lose fidelity. And so it's obvious that our search engines look for words like ensure or, or reinforce, you know, those kind of words that push us back to our old systems. Because we're trying to sort information in a way that the fidelity is around maintaining the information, not around maintaining the learning. And that's really key. And then you go back to to the idea that a root cause is efficient, it's elegant, it's fast. We can determine the problem, and then we can always push it back towards the worker at the sharp end of the stick because it's way easier to have them be the problem than it is to have the system, the organization, the company the leadership be the problem. You're really picking up on something that I think is incredibly important for us to understand and to think about as an organization, because it's very limiting. Part of the reason we're not as successful as we can be is because our systems don't allow us to be as successful as we can be.
0: Todd, I don't know the answer to that, but I can say one thing that if your goal is to manage risk or predict and prevent accidents, then obviously you've got the right thing in place, which is a reporting system. But if you really want to navigate uncertainty and if you want to get better at it, I think a reporting system is not designed for that purpose. That, that's all I can say. It's not designed to help you navigate uncertainty because we have very clearly seen through this COVID times that the rules of yesteryears will not be applicable to, to help you navigate what lies ahead. Things are changing every minute. And who would know it better than you, Todd? You know, all the uncertainty that your your country is facing right now, political uncertainty, economic uncertainty, health issues, all those issues, who would know it better?
1: Ouch, you're right. And and that's really the the, I mean, it's the classic shift from the bias towards prevention, towards the bias towards resilience. I mean, we want the world to be uncertain, so we make pyramids, because if we make pyramids, then uncertainty becomes predictable and we can control the future by predicting the future the challenge is that in a complex world in which we live everything's interdependent interrelated intercoupled all the sort of tendencies and complexity we live in a world that's really beyond the ability to predict and so preventing events is important but not sufficient we have to we have to learn better we have to get we have to get a different kind of curious and we have to learn, I loved how you talked about learning laterally because, I mean, that's a really good way to think about this is that we want to learn really about the interdependencies. That's, that's the key.
0: I'm going to now talk to you, Todd, about what is it that we have done to understand these issues. I I don't like the word solve these problems. You, You don't, you don't solve problems. You, you try and understand the problems. So these are some of the things that we have done in the design of the way we are approaching it. As I said, in the beginning, and you also picked it up really well, we have moved away from the idea of reporting and we have gone into a very simple concept, which is conversations. We really want to generate conversations and conversations not just between the line and the worker, conversation across peers, conversation across departments and hierarchies. That's the kind of thing that really draws uh, people to make that tacit knowledge explicit. One way of doing that is you ask people to jump from a reporting system and make them talk. But even talking has its limitation because talking will only give you what people were thinking in that moment. The moment you turn into into conversations, a multi-way conversation where you have three, four, five people, you suddenly start to build a very rich narrative of the problem. But that's something we have made a fundamental shift in that area. The second thing we have done is we have really gone into the, the idea of collaborative problem solving. And I would Correct myself, not problem solving so much, identifying the problem. What is the real issue here before we try to solve the problem? So this is something we are we have designed into the system. You really bring people, you create that those conversations, and then you start to understand that when you entered into the conversation, you probably didn't even know what the real issue was. So this is about identifying the problem before you can put a corrective action on it. The third thing we have is actually a byproduct of these two things. So diversity of perspectives or multi-way conversations and a problem identifying attitude leads you to something really marvelous, which is meaningful compliance or mindful compliance. So you're not just complying for the sake of it. You are putting rules and regulations in place to meet your objectives, like you see in the picture. There are many rules that this expert can apply, but he chooses to apply certain rules and ignores others because of the context in which he's operating. And that is mindful compliance or meaningful compliance. So I have nothing against compliance so long as it meets the objective, the context.
1: Well, it has to have fidelity, right? It has to make sense to me. And the idea that you can mindfully comply really allows the worker the ability to choose which rules make the most sense, which is a big ask for companies who manage high-risk work by ensuring compliance. It's scary to them. And you must be getting some scary feedback from companies when you talk about it, do you?
0: You do, but you also quickly start to see how far away we are from reality. That's another side to it, you see. That how is work being managed on a daily basis and how far away our procedures and checklists are. In fact, as a matter of fact, this morning, I was talking to Greg, Greg Smith, and one of his key arguments was that Forget about operational and safety. It does not make legal or liability sense either for people to be doing things that are so far away from the documented procedures. So you constantly have to keep realigning these procedures with reality. The rule might say, hold the handrail. But if people choose not to hold the handrail because the context of the risk risk has changed completely, you need to come closer. You need to build systems that are closer to reality then in order for them to mindfully and meaningfully comply with those rules. And then the other thing we did was we made made the whole system transparent. So there is no secrecy. There is no direct messaging. It's all in the open. Everyone can interact with everyone else. So we created full visibility of the system. And this was also a, a radical shift in the way reporting systems are done today. So I'll give you an example now of how a typical safety reporting system works and what differences we are seeing at a very early stage now. Now here's an example, Todd. Somebody reports, during deck rounds, I noticed the manhole cover was left open after tank inspection. I closed the cover and reported to the supervisor. The response is, good job. Now check the permit to work system is signed off and closed. Inform supervisor not to leave the manhole cover open at the end of day's work. So in this very short conversation, what you see is absolutely no engagement. You see reinforcement of what the safety advisor already knows, which is go back and follow the procedures. You see no curiosity at all. What you also see is some KPIs probably pushing us our behavior in the way it is. So I don't really care about what happened in the situation. Let's just close the manhole, sign off the job, close it, and let's move on. So there's so much here in, 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 that tells you in this little conversation how a typical reporting system operates. And where we went with this was something like this, that ask an open question and let the guys tell you during deck rounds, I noticed the manhole cover was left open after tank inspection. I closed the cover and reported to the supervisor. There's curiosity there to say, do you know why this happened? And the guy responds to say, no idea. Speak to Ronald, he was carrying out the job. So now Ronald is tang- tagged into the conversation and then Ronald picks up the conversation. Then he says, yes, we had to leave the job in between to attend to bunkering. And then the, the next question is, do you need some support? A 15 minutes notice would be helpful. And what I'm trying to say here is it has all the ingredients of a learning organization. It has diversity of perspectives. You are suddenly entertaining more perspectives. You are reaching out and making connection to the person who actually knows what the problem is. And as a result of that, instead of putting two more controls, two more checks into the system, you are putting a control that really helps in the moment, what some people would call safety decluttering. And that is the kind of shift I'm trying to make when we go from a typical reporting system to a more conversational way of learning and and listening.
1: Are you familiar with um, a scholar named Philip Tompkins? No. He, He has a book that you ought to look at called organizational communication imperatives what he did was studied nasa's marshall space flight center and he studied the way they communicated operations to each other it's a really phenomenal study called unparalleled insight into the communication success and failures of nasa's marshall space flight center it's very much along the lines where you're moving how a very effective organization stopped communicating using low fidelity tracking and trending and started communicating by something they called monday morning notes this is a while ago so it was before the advent of all the electronic communication devices but they would take their weekly plan of the week and then everybody would write marginal information so you'd you'd comment in actual writing On the plan of the week, then they would copy it and everybody would get a copy of everybody's comments on everybody's notes. It's very much like what you're going to do. And it dramatically improved the way they communicated with one another by making it more of a conversation about operations and operational risk and less of a tracking and trending near-miss reporting system or whatever you wanted to call it. It would really be worthwhile for you to look into that. It's a credible book. I don't know where you'd find it. Tompkins has really done a lot of work around this idea of conversation and conversation as it relates to learning because of exactly the same things you're talking about. How it actually increases fidelity, it doesn't decrease fidelity, which is exactly the challenge. It'd be a really cool book for you to look at.
0: Todd, what was the name of the author again? Can you repeat that?
1: Philip, Tompkins.
0: I'll have a look. That's very useful because the, the key word I picked up from here was operational communication, and that's exactly what I was studying for so many years. Yes.
1: Yeah, in his book is, it's really seminal in that it it was kind of a really big case study. It looked highly technical people in a very linear world, functioned in the complex nonlinear part of that world, which is communicating with one another and making sure they're all aligned. They had the right equipment, the right controls, the right people, the right understanding of the risk. Both operationally, it's very good. You'll
0: like it. Absolutely. No, I'm definitely going to grab that. Just wanted to share this with you. Obviously, the rest of it is on the website and, and can be read. And so that's something I wanted to check with you to say what What do you think about the idea?
1: So I think it's really it's an amazing idea, and the idea that we can communicate by conversation better than we can communicate through issue identification systems makes total sense. I don't think people have thought about it very much because they believe their issue identification system is somehow serving a greater purpose. What you're saying is that it's not. It's actually quite the opposite. It's not serving a greater purpose. It's actually reducing the quality and quantity of actual usable operational information in the name of serving a system that allows it to be sorted. And in a world we live in now, you could have conversations and still have enough artificial intelligence to be able to do keyword searches. I mean, you could still actually process the information quite effectively. We do it all the time. Think about the world you live in. If you go to Amazon and buy broccoli, all your web pages will have broccoli ads added to it because they've done their analysis in realizing that Nippon's interested in broccoli. So they're going to make it very available to you to buy many types of broccoli. I don't know why I chose broccoli, but I did. Maybe,
0: maybe I look like a broccoli to you, but- uh, yeah, maybe. maybe. You remind
1: me of broccoli.
0: Yeah, probably. But, it's your uh, green hair. What you said just now, uh, I wanted to just say that uh, one of the things we have done, Todd, is we have brought artificial intelligence closer to actual intelligence. So although there is pattern recognition, but because you put that pattern recognition in the open, now you can actually go out to the community of experts and ask, what explains these patterns? Because it's all in the open now. You can actually make make use of your expertise and ask some meaningful questions. Because artificial intelligence is very good at at detecting patterns. But it is not good at giving you any new knowledge. It's not how it's designed. It's humans who detect the anomalies and and make some sense of that information. That's how we have combined the two together.
1: Right. And you can look at things like word co-usage. So they're using these two words always seem to be used together at the same time. Or these three words are always used at the same time. And you can really draw that. But I think the point you made is really important, that the artificial intelligence allows us to manage the information, the data, but the actual transfer of that data to usable, helpful path forward, that's really the job we have in helping to interpret and understand what moves forward. That's the amazing thing about analysis, is analysis is always going to bias towards some goal. Analysis always removes fidelity. That's its job it separates the noise from the data. And what we've done is we've had a, a, our priority is to really separate the noise from the data in a way that we have very clear, almost always worker-focused data. Should have paid more attention, should have been more careful, should have followed the procedure, all the points you made. When in reality, your point is that we're missing a lot of the deeper, more contextual information that actually helps us improve. That's really the ultimate goal is improving operations and it's really a matter of sort of shifting the focus from who failed which is actually terribly easy information to get to the much richer what failed that's the basic premise of sort of the move we're all working diligently to get organizations to understand not because it's good for us just what we do it's good for them it's good for the organization
0: absolutely yes you're right i have nothing to add to that i wholeheartedly agree with you.
1: What'd you think? I told you. It's a pretty good little podcast. It's a good conversation. This whole idea that over time we've built these systems to be efficient but not very effective is uh, is something we should talk more about because I think it's a, actually a pretty important issue. I'm, I I went way long today, so let me cut, cut it tightly and tell you thanks for listening. I really appreciate you. Tell your friends, tell everybody, subscribe, smash that like button. <laughs> I just love saying that actually. It means nothing on a podcast, but it feels like you're doing something. Until then, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That's important. Check in on one another. That is really important. Don't forget to do that. And for goodness sakes, be safe.